0: Belly
1: and the Fish. Belly,
0: Belly and the Fish. Welcome, friends, to Belly and the Fish. I'm your host Corbin, aka the Fish, and we got big old Ben Belly Smokes Hunter.
2: Thanks for the warm welcome, Corby. Good to be back. How you doing?
0: Yeah, it's sad boy season again. I guess we're mortal after all. Could have
2: told you that one. Yep.
0: And we don't want to keep our two others waiting. We've got my partner in crime at Ford Field, John Charette. How we doing, John?
1: Oh Corbin, the ski masks didn't pull it off for us.
0: I know. It's too hot anyways. I only made yeah, it for he a made, couple of plays with that thing. We made it
1: about 30 seconds with the ski mask till he rips it off and he goes, This thing is way too hot.
2: It was. was it, the, was it hot. the black was it the black ski mask? Yeah, I had to get a black Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. Let's back this up. You got too hot in a ski mask at Ford
0: Field, but you can stand eight hours in a dog suit? I'm calling lie. Yeah, well, I like I said, I would have the A.C. cranked up. I got a whole thing for it, but too late. (laughs) It's already in the books. Yes, the ski mask was too hot. I was also very nervous and anxious, so that also had a—it was a factor in the heat, but— We don't need to leave our guest of the week waiting any longer. We've got Big Mart joining us again. How we doing, Mart?
3: Thanks for having me back on. And we're uh, already at the uh, maybe next week season. Took us two games. Maybe next week. Here we are.
0: Yep, that's right. There'll be plenty more weeks, plenty more wins. I'm sure there's going to be a couple more losses as well. But this is one that I think that everybody unanimously thought was you know, a pretty easy win revenge game for Dan Campbell and Aaron Glenn after that defeat last year. And unfortunately, this game was just eerily similar to last year. And even though we had that nice week one against the Chiefs, it just shows that we are, in fact, mortals. Any given Sunday an NFL team can lose and, you know, obviously disappointed with the result in this one.
3: Yeah, you'd think with three years in a row, Aaron Glenn would come up with something a little different, but uh, he just said, hey, we're going to run it back. I got another in me, 400 more yards. I'll give it up. Let's go. I don't know. There's there's a lot of actually some good takeaways from this game on the offensive side. We'll get into it all, but you would like to see some adjustments, especially with 10 days from that Chiefs game. A little extra half a week there to to prepare for old Geno Smith. go not quite do that.
0: Yeah, we just can't take down Gino. Couldn't even touch him.
2: I mean, I just I saw a lot of it on Red Zone, but fear not, I made the plunge. I bought the Red Zone Plus Sunday tickets, so I'll watch every game from now on. But from what I saw on Red Zone, it looked like a wild game. It looked like it was fun to be there. The atmosphere was wild.
0: It was a fun game, and that was the loudest that I've ever witnessed Ford Field before. I think uh John and I were talking about like is this The loudest game you've ever been to, and I'm like, yes, because there was some third down plays where it's just ringing in your ears, and I was like, wow, I can barely even hear myself yelling, and that decibel meter definitely got over that 121, 122, whatever it was. I don't know how accurate that is on the screen there, but Ford Field was rocking. I mean, I think it was the fourth highest attended game in Lions franchise history, so the fans were they were there and they were ready for it, but unfortunately just didn't get the result that we all came to see. John and I have been at the Seahawks game the past two years. Maybe we are just the, the bad luck charms.
2: I think that's got a lot to do with it. it I, I mean, I've felt like
1: so much. My whole life is my fault, and this is just another example.
2: Yeah, we think you're all right.
0: <laughs> we'll just have to put you down, and maybe the Lions will start winning them all about that
2: that worked for my fantasy team this weekend you just put them down and then they just start performing for you maybe that's what we need to do to john gonna euthanize me no no no. no. we're just gonna insult you cripple your intelligence and your whole mental libido a
0: couple more losses i am considering euthanasia though so
1: uh on the noise though there were two different people around us that i saw during different occasions that were like plugging their ears sitting down because it was too loud for them
3: 300 bucks to sit down with your ears plugged and hide from the noise that you wanted to be a part of <laughs> maybe Power this remote.
2: maybe this season they need to hand out those little baby headphones to everybody you know the ones you see little toddlers wearing
0: yeah i mean i was going berserk john was a little bit more subdued than mm. i was that i would say but now nah, every single play i was yelling was, on defense
3: he was, he was uh, very vocal TV crew commented on it. You just wish that the players could have taken that followed suit a little bit. Um, But it's a long season. I think the fans are not going to give up after one game. They haven't given up in 60 years and they'll be bringing it. Got Atlanta coming. And I feel like Desmond Ritter, you would think is a guy we should be able to expose, but we'll see.
0: Yep. The hype is no longer at an all time high, but it is definitely still there. Lions fans are hungry for some success, and it's a long season. We're going to have some wins. We're going to have some losses. My $30,000 odd bet did not pan out that the Lions would go undefeated in the regular season, but alas, here we are. We'll uh, break down the Seahawks game here. It was in Detroit, obviously, line opened up at Lions minus five and a half, closed at minus four and a half. The final score, Lions 31, Seahawks 37, a brutal loss in overtime. And we'll start with some positives first, and that's the offense as a whole, but it all starts with Jared Goff, and he played a damn near perfect game. He was throwing some absolute lasers over the center to Josh Reynolds he completed passes to eight different receivers. The pick six was obviously devastating, but it kind of looked like he got hit in the arm by the defensive end off the edge. But Statistically, 28 for 35, 323 yards, three touchdowns in the one interception. Jared Goff just con- continues to get it done. And he might have lost that uh, longest completion without an interception streak. But, again, you can't really put that one entirely on him. Sometimes those fluke interceptions just happen.
1: It was just like the worst possible timing for
3: it, though. Was that, uh, was that after Big V went down? I think it was, right? Yeah. And I we had a so, makeshift yeah. right tackle with A Sewell on the left side with, with Decker out. Um, so, yeah, momentum. I think Montgomery was already hurt, and that was when uh, things started feeling pretty serious at that point.
0: Yeah. And that was in the fourth quarter, too. Uh, I think like eight minutes left around that. So that put the Seahawks up 10 points, and I was like, damn, Like we got to get going now. I mean, the offense did do some great things passing the ball. I mean, the Seahawks' defense really couldn't do anything to stop us. I mean, the same thing happened last year. They had that pick six against us, too. So, yeah, I mean, you knew that at some point the shoe was going to drop with Jared Goff. It was a good streak, but overall, he was confident in the pocket. He stood in there and made those throws you know, he is really starting to trust that offensive line. I don't know if he kind of flipped the switch halfway through last year, but you like what you see out of him. We we could talk about every single week on how he is the long-term option in Detroit, but week in and week out, he just continues to stand in there and do what he needs to do. I think
3: the system's perfect for him. He's, he's firing on all cylinders. And, um, I mean, he's top five in almost every category so far. It's only two games, but one road game plus this, um, doesn't have JMO yet, and he's, I mean, theres he's a different man than he was a year or two ago for sure.
0: And then when we talk about the running game, Gibbs and David Montgomery, obviously the stars there, but it was nice to see Gibbs used a little bit more in the passing game. Uh, he did drop a ball, uh, that would have been a pretty big gain there, but... The coaching staff said that they wanted to get him more involved uh, running and receiving, and they did just that. But I think that we really need to temper our expectations for him as a between-the-tackles runner because you saw some flashes of it against the Chiefs, and then I went back and actually watched the film just because at the game you can't really you know, see everything perfectly like you could in the box, like on, on TV – And there's still some times where you just see him trying to bounce it outside. I don't know if he just doesn't have that trust with his offensive linemen um, or if it's just like his vision between the tackles, but he's always looking to bounce it outside. I love him in space, and that's great. You know, if we throw the ball to him on the outside and get him in space, make something happen, that is something that we need to do. But sometimes he just has to take what the defense gives him and hit the hole and then bounce it outside because there's so many plays where – There's a clear hole right in front of him and he elects to bounce it outside and gets tackled for no gain or like a slight loss when that could be a five, six, 10 yard gain with him. Who knows? He could take it to the house. So he definitely has to start getting that trust with offensive linemen and, you know, look to go inside instead of immediately just looking to go to the outside. You know, it's just like a quarterback. You have your first and second read, read the inside. If it's not there, then you kick it out but maybe with a little bit more patience. I mean, he's a young running back still. He's still adapting to the speed of the NFL. He's not always going to be the absolute fastest guy like he was in college, but you got to be able to see those holes or it's just going to hurt our running game as a whole.
3: You want to know who's a professional at that is David Montgomery. That guy does everything in between the tackles so well. If he's out for a game or two, we are going to miss that big time. Um, Gibbs, I do think the game's just moving a little quick. Against the Chiefs, you know, he could have cut that one outside. He had nothing but a wide-open end zone, and he tripped, so the stats would already be looking a little better. It's going to come, but I have been on record, and I will say it: he is not that guy between the tackles. He will not hold up, and he will never be that guy. And as long as as Bijan's doing what he's doing, they're always going to be compared. I think Gibbs is going to have a great career, and for him to be showing what he's doing in the passing game already, uh, the proof's in the pudding, but he is not that guy. And they always are going to have to have a grinder between the tackles to preserve him.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I'm fine with that. You know, like we knew when we drafted him, he wasn't going to be some three down bruising back by any means. And in fact, I've been pleasantly surprised with how physical he's been. But the problem is just his patience and his vision. He always just wants to bounce it outside. And you know, rookie mistakes, we can chalk it up to that for right now, but that's definitely something that he needs to improve on. I'm not saying, like, you know, he's going to be like Bijan between the tackles. You know, that's not his game. But it's a, he's a rookie. I mean, he's still trying to figure it out. And David Montgomery, like you said, we have him to pound between the tackles, and he's clearly getting the bulk of the workload. I mean, you just look at the the carries. David Montgomery had 16 carries. Gibbs had seven. But then Montgomery, he had the one catch. For seven yards, he also had a screenplay that went for a touchdown, got called back from a Josh Reynolds pass interference. Um, and then and then uh, Gibbs, he had the seven catches for 39 yards. So clearly we want to use him in that capacity. Sure, you know, he didn't have a ton of yardage. And, you know, those small little five, six, seven-yard gains are going to turn into 20, 40-yard touchdown runs. The thing is, David Montgomery, he did have a good game, 16 carries, 67 yards. He had the touchdown Pretty much what you would expect but he did have that critical fumble on that very first drive in the second half gave Seattle the ball in our territory I think they only had like 25 yards to score that touchdown they did it in two plays so you can't have that I mean that was a critical moment we were getting the ball back we were up by seven points and we're like okay let's make it a two score game no we turn it over and then they tie it up and then David Montgomery went down with a quad injury in the third quarter they kept him out for the rest of the game and reports today are that it's just a thigh bruise, but David Montgomery is saying that he'll be back in a couple of weeks. So I don't really know what to make of that. You hear thigh bruise and you say, oh, that doesn't seem very serious. But based on his comments, I mean, he could be missing time. So what do you think we're going to do at running back if David Montgomery is out for a week or two?
1: I think it's going to be a lot more Craig Reynolds than we would love to see. But uh, kind of to Eric's point, they don't really see Gibbs as someone that they can use in that between the tackles role, and they really need that for how they run their offense. It's a huge part of that offense, so it it could be a little scary. I mean, it, they looked pretty anemic after Montgomery went out because it was like Seattle just didn't respect the rush after that at all, and they they kind of dominated us in that second half over certain periods of time defensively
3: i absolutely agree i think the only the main reason Goff does what he does is after we've set that up with the play action in order to have an effective play action you've got to have a guy that they respect craig reynolds did not have the burst it was it was ugly quick there was a, a huge drop off so um, I think Zonovan Knight's another name we're going to see this week in practice. Maybe he can push Craig Reynolds a little bit. I, I would rather see Zonovan Knight. I thought he had a little pop last year uh, with the New York Jets. Um, so they'll have to figure some things out. But I, I don't expect to see David Montgomery this week. I think they'll play the long game with him. You know, if it was a playoff game, he'd probably give it a go. But there, there's a lot of game left. And if we aspire to be a playoff team, they're going to need him healthy. How long is he supposed to be out for?
0: It's unclear, but it'll, he, it's a thigh bruise. So, you know, I wouldn't be totally shocked if he was ready to go on next week, Sunday, but based on what he said, it could affect him for a couple of weeks. Now, does that just mean like he's going to be limited and he's just going to play through pain? Or does that mean that he's just actually injured and won't be able to play at all? So that's kind of the question we have. So trying to think of what our alternatives are in the event that he's not able to go for a a couple weeks here. But I mean, Craig Reynolds, yeah, he only he wasn't very effective this game against Seattle. But in the past, he has been effective between the tackles. I mean, he's a bigger guy and we don't need someone, you know, like obviously we want someone who's just a perfect replacement for David Montgomery. And he's not that. That's why he's the RB three. But he can pound it between the tackles. I mean, he's a hard runner. That's why the Lions have kept him along or kept him on the roster for so long because of what he brings to that team and the physicality. So he only had a couple opportunities to prove himself. And the other thing is, too, the Lions were playing from behind in the second half. So running the ball wasn't exactly our prerogative. So with a full week going in, knowing that he's going to be a part of the game plan, I expect him to, you know, produce somewhat respectable numbers you know maybe three and a half yards of carry four yards of carry if we're lucky found him in there for a touchdown it's not going to be a perfect replacement but we could do worse
3: i'd love to see it i didn't see it last week but with a week of prep yeah it's definitely possible and you know he'll get a chance because they need to set the passing game up with the running game that's how they do it and uh it's just part of the dna
1: zonovan will probably be active either way right definitely
0: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we we're not gonna roll out there with just two running backs. So I would expect him or somebody else. But let's talk about our receivers here and tight ends. Amon Ross St. Brown. I mean, it goes without saying he's always going to show up, consistent as they come. He does what he does. Six catches for 102 yards. He did leave the game in the second half, but it seems like it was just kind of cramping. It wouldn't really be a concern. Even the play where uh, Big V went down, he was getting stretched out. He left for a play, then came back, and then he had like a, a fourth down run, to a fourth down conversion right by the goal line. So um, I wouldn't be too concerned about that. I mean, he does get nicked up every now and then, but he's tough as nails. So I expect him to be ready to go on Sunday. Josh Reynolds, though, was kind of the big surprise of this game. Uh, five catches, 66 yards, two touchdowns. He's our firm wide receiver, too, while Jamison Williams is out. And you saw his rapport with Goff kind of come out in this game here. He looked great. I mean, Goff was just throwing him seams down the middle, and he came down with it no problem. Uh, Some good yak. I mean, he can make guys miss. Like, he's a sneaky underrated receiver. Didn't really see too much of that for the Chiefs game. But he had to bounce back after, you know, not the best performance uh, last week against the Chiefs. And then Sam Laporta. He's looking sensational. I mean, his yak was on display he, when he broke the the two tackles at the same time down near the goal line. He just keeps plays alive. And, you know, blocking, too, I mean, I saw one where he, uh, well, he missed a block on that David Montgomery fumble, and then he redeemed himself with a very nice block on another David Montgomery touchdown. So that's two touchdowns for David Montgomery in consecutive weeks that he has set up. Um, On the other hand, you got Brock Wright, who was an absolute liability blocking. I probably saw two or three tackles for losses, and I think maybe a sack, too, that he was responsible for. you have got Antoine Green, our seventh-round pick. He got his first career catch. He eventually left with a concussion. And then Khalif Raymond, he caught that flea flicker. That was really nice, and John can vouch for it. I did call that. We had a penalty, and I was like, take a shot. He called a deep shot. As soon as I said that, they snapped it. I said, take a shot. That's true. I, I uh, will it was a definitely shot.
1: give you that, but they went to the playground on that one.
0: Yes, they did. And that's fine. I mean, I want to get Khalif more involved in the offense and a lot of fans were kind of calling for that after Marvin Jones's performance last week against Kansas city. Um, uh, we got him a couple more snaps. He had a nice punt return in the fourth quarter to set us up with good field position for that last drive to tie it up. And and yeah, no Marvin Jones really at all this week. I mean, he played about 50% of snaps, but no catches at all. So
3: Nobody could have guessed he played half the game based on that performance. He Yeah, he might be fading fast.
0: Who do you think had the best game out of that crew? I mean, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Josh Reynolds, and Laporta are all candidates.
3: I, I'm i going to jump in and say Sam Laporta needs a shout-out. Um, second most receptions for a rookie tight end through his first two games in NFL history. I mean, that's a second-round pick for that to happen this, this early. I mean, yards after the catch, like you said, he sprung two blocks for a touchdown. I mean, he is as advertised. Um, he's slippery. He's athletic. He's strong. He's uh, – He's what we needed. And to me, he looks just as good as Hawk ever did. And it's been two games. So um, i'm I'm very happy that they hit on him because it was considered a reach at the time, but that he's silencing those those haters real quick.
0: Yeah, and I noticed it against the Chiefs on TV, but when I was actually at the game, it was really prevalent, like how often they're flanking him out wide and kind of that X spot. I don't know if it's just kind of as a distraction or to give him more field to, you know, some underneath routes, but I do want to see him a little bit more involved in like the intermediate and the, the, uh, the long passing game. You know, it's a lot of short stuff that gives him a chance to get some yak, but I do want to see him like running a post across the middle or something, come down with it, make a safety miss and just house one.
3: He's got the ability to break a tackle and get some serious yardage. So I think that'll come. And for now, he's comfortable with, I think it's kind of a baby step thing, kind of like James Houston last year. Um, but when you're basically setting an NFL all-time record for how quick you're getting the in the gist of things, we'll, we'll take that. Yeah, you talk about uh,
1: how get we, me and Corbin at the game were saying, man, Gibbs, he always thought he was faster than everyone in the NFL, and he's not adjusting to the sp- – or in – College and he's not adjusting to the NFL speed as quick, but Laporta looks like he's just like seeing it so well from the jump.
3: He's just got an IQ, his IQ of where to be. Um, I don't know his body control is. Is I don't want to use the word elite already, but it sure looks that way.
0: I'm very pleasantly surprised with what I've seen from Laporta. And I don't think that you can undersell his blocking ability either because he gets in there. He's not scared. Like I said, I mean, he did miss that one, but I mean, he's a tight end and he's a rookie. He's not going to be perfect. So, but speaking of blocking, I thought overall our offensive line did pretty well. Um, You know, earlier on last week, it came out that Decker was kind of hampered from an ankle injury. Nobody really thought anything of it early in the week. But as the days went by, It became more and more likely that we weren't going to see him, and he was, in fact, out. So what we did is we moved Penny Sewell over to left. We had um, Matt Nelson uh, fill in at right. And Matt Nelson, I mean, he did okay, but he did allow that one pressure on Goff where his arm was hit, and he threw the pick six um, but overall, I mean, not too bad. I mean, he's definitely not a Penny Sewell or Taylor Decker. Would that pick six have happened if we had Penny Sewell guarding him on the right side? Probably not. But you know what? Injuries are going to happen, and I thought that he filled in all right. Uh, hopefully we get Decker back because I want that offensive line is that at full strength if possible. Um, but unfortunately seems like we're going to be down another starter next week. Vitai left in the second half with a knee injury. It doesn't appear that it, he's going to need to go on IR for it, but we've already got Graham Glasgow, who's a solid replacement, if he does miss some significant time. So glad that we have him there. We should still be a pretty solid offensive line, even if Big V does miss some time. Only two sacks allowed on Goff, um, but for the most part, he had a lot of time to throw. I don't really have any critiques for our offense. Um, I guess the D- the offensive line wasn't quite as dominant as they were against the chiefs. Uh, you know, we were running the ball. Well golf had time to throw. So what else can you ask for?
3: I w- it was a good effort and a quick shot to pen. Sewell slides over to left tackle first time in two years. And he was PFFs seventh rated left tackle on the, on the week this week. So just casual moves right on over there in short notice and top 10.
0: I, I wasn't worried about him at all, to be honest.
3: Yeah, uh, Big V though. There's a drop off from him to to Graham Glasgow. I mean, maybe like we said with Craig Reynolds, another week of practice, they'll they'll kind of figure out some timing. But things went south pretty quick once that happened, and we couldn't run the ball, and felt like Goff was getting hit a little bit sooner. So they'll have some some patchwork uh, this week, but I, I do think we'll see Taylor Decker back, and should be should be okay.
0: But yeah, like I said, offense really not a lot of criticism to go around there. There's definitely some things to clean up. You know, the turnovers obviously is the number one thing that comes to mind, but. The biggest problem we've got right now is our defense. After the Kansas City game, oh I felt very confident in what we had. And then I feel like we just regressed back to what we had last year. So let's just break it down by position group, starting with the defensive line. Our run defense continues to look great. Only 2.8 yards per carry for the uh, Seahawks running backs. But when it comes to our pass rush, I mean, it, it just was not good. I mean we had n- no sacks until the very fourth quarter and that was more of a coverage sack Anzalone coming and Gino almost got out of it. I mean he could have thrown the ball away and he would have been fine, but you know we kind of got lucky there, but we could not get to Gino all day. The one quarterback hit we had came on that sack in the fourth quarter with Anzalone on Gino. So with two of their starting tackles out and Evan Brown, their starting center going down during the game, I don't even think he came back. There's no excuse for just throwing away a favorable matchup like that. We need to get after the quarterback. I mean, I just don't even understand it. Yeah, Hutchinson has a motor, and yeah, you could say, like, we're being held. But, like, what is going on? We can't get one sack on Geno Smith. He's not like a Patrick Mahomes who can move around in the pocket. That's what, you know, the excuse that we use for week one. He's just standing there like a statue. You know, like he's right there. And Campbell came out and said that the game plan was to play contain, not let him get outside. What are you scared about? Geno Smith isn't some, you know, scrambling savant. He's going to want to stand in there and, you know, make strikes. And and granted, I will say that Seattle's scheme was to kind of get it out quick, just short, quick passes and let the receivers do the work. Like I said, but there was plenty of opportunity to get him down to the ground and we just couldn't do it. You now, with no turnovers and no sacks. I mean, it's just going to spell a disaster for any defense. And we let Geno Smith carve us up once again. And I think that it really starts with the defensive line here.
3: It's early. Um, hot seat is a term thrown pretty loosely, but there's there's rumblings that Aaron Glenn needs to get things right quick. Um, I do want to I want to say that maybe it's just one of those matchup things where for whatever reason Aaron Glenn and the Seahawks. It's just not going to work. So we better not see them in the playoffs because for three years in a row, it has not worked. I saw a statistic today. We are second to last in blitz percentage. So we've only blitzed 5.5% of the time. Clearly the D-line can't win one-on-one. They need help. Hutch needs help. Hutch played 94% of snaps. So could he be getting tired? He's not the kind of guy to say, I need a break. But if he's not able to get home and he's taking on chips and all these Different things. Maybe Hutch should only be playing 75 to 80% of snaps. So he's got a little bit more juice to get home because they need something and something's got to change.
0: And it only gets worse because it just came out today. James Houston has broken his ankle. He's going to be out six to eight weeks. So he's kind of our pass rushing specialist, you know, kind of the one guy we have like that um, next to Julian Aquara, but he's already on IR and Pascal just last week was announced that he's going to have a stint on the IR too. So our edge depth is pretty thin right now. We've got Kaminsky, Charles Harris, Romeo, and Hutch. But other than that, I mean, our other three edge rushers are all down. So that was a, a group where we were very strong, uh, coming out of camp, but now the injury bug has just kind of reared its ugly head. And, You know, if injuries are gonna happen, you know, you don't want it, but this is probably the group that's most capable of picking up the slack while some others are down in recovery. You know, obviously just having like those four guys, like we're gonna have to change some things up. Send some linebackers on blitzes. If we got two, we'll drop one in coverage. We send the other one. Anzalone looks pretty damn good blitzing the quarterback. So I don't mind sending him on a blitz and then just have a Jack Campbell kind of defend against the pass and then you got Derek Barnes too who's looking great you know running down the line so I think we got to get a little bit more creative with how we're going to use our linebackers now that we have this uh this these injury issues on our edge
3: and get back to the basics what are we doing dropping half of our D line back in coverage I mean James Houston on Noah Fant third down and what 12 that was just embarrassing what is he doing back there in coverage why don't we put these guys where they've proven they can play and kind of go from there instead of trying to big brain ourselves um you know it's way too soon to panic i think aaron glenn deserves a bit of a leash uh we were you know we went to lambo week 17 last year and uh did what we did we just went to arrowhead Against the Super Bowl champs, held Mahomes to 221 yards, I believe it was. So, like I said, maybe the Seahawks are his kryptonite. He's going to bounce back. We're going to shut down Bijan, make Ritter look bad. But um, I think Hutch needs help, and I think that uh, the D-line in general is about to be tested with these injuries, like he said. Feels like they were trusting our linebackers,
1: who are not naturally coverage linebackers, in coverage all game and trusting the D-line to get pressure with no help from linebacker safeties or anyone blitzing, and it just kind of backfired because no one really did their job all that well.
3: It's a very vanilla scheme up front. It's just, here's the guy across from you, beat him. There's no stunts, there's no help, and it didn't work, and the concern is that he didn't adjust at halftime. And you know we came out and fumbled on our own twenty-five. That's that's not Aaron Glenn's problem, and that's seven points that really is not on him. Um, but you know we keep saying it, the Seahawks. Why are we not adjusting? We had ten days to do it, and he's just doing the same thing. Um, you know that's the definition of insane. So
0: yeah, and I mean my thing is I'm I'm fine with l- dropping linebackers in coverage, but you're going to be hard pressed to find a successful cover linebacker there's just not many of them you know linebackers are the hard-nosed guys they're going to run down the line tackle the ball carrier you know they're not made to defend a receiver that's what our defensive backs are for safeties, corners but when you Um, have we're asking them to do that I I understand that and that's fine but it shouldn't be their primary responsibility you know like you want to put a defensive back or a safety on as many receivers as you can. And, yeah, a linebacker is going to tail a running back or a tight end. But then you see plays where I saw Charles Harris miss an assignment. I think it was right in overtime, actually, and it was Will Disley or Colby Parkinson who just caught one down in – not Will Harris, Charles Harris is in coverage. Why is that? Why is Charles Harris Mm -hmm. asked to do that? Why is James Houston asked to cover Noah Fant when you got Jack Campbell – Like Eric said on that one play, I know what he's talking about. Jack Campbell easily could have just picked him up. And that play happened when we had C.J. Gardner-Johnson, we had Jack Campbell, and Alex Anzalone all right up in the box. And for some reason, we have James Houston on the tight end. How does that make any sense?
3: It's pretty simple. We all agree here. Put the secondary in a position to play what they do best, which is defend the pass and have your best pass rushers up on the line trying to get to the quarterback. I don't know where Aaron Glenn started overthinking things. Let's get back to the basics this week. I think Dan Campbell's pissed and it sounded like he certainly was today in his press conference. Um, I don't think any of us right now are panicking, but we are all seeing the same thing, and it's it's very puzzling.
0: Yeah,
1: just not not putting guys in position to do what they do best. No.
0: I mean, that's what you know coaches do. They exploit mismatches, and Pete Carroll did a great job, and our defense was exploited this week. So, I mean, let's move on here to linebackers. We already kind of talked about them a little bit here, but uh, one of the brightest spots on defense, I thought, was Derek, Derek Barnes. Barnes. Yep. He's looking real nice, stout against the run. I mean, you would see somebody fly in there and make a tackle at the line of scrimmage. I'm like, oh, damn, who was that? And it's Derek Barnes getting off the pile. I think he was our leading tackler with like eight tackles, I want to say. Don't quote me on that. But he was looking really good. Uh, You know, I I saw flashes in the Kansas City game, but, you know, nothing like this. He was probably the best player on on the defense, I think, this game at least. Didn't really see him making plays against the pass, but hey, maybe Aaron Glenn is scheming him right and utilizing him to do what he does best. Um, Alex Anzalone, on the other hand, he played 90% of snaps, so he's definitely the the LB1 of the group still. He had that one sack, but other than that, it was an up-and-down day. I saw him fly in and make some good plays, some good tackles, and then you see him miss a tackle or you'd see him blow a coverage too, so you know, good and bad out of him but as a whole, I think that our linebackers were really just exposed. Seattle's tight end group had a big day and that pretty much that responsibility lies with our linebackers, you know, and Alex Anzalone and Barnes, they're probably going to be our guys until further notice Jack Campbell didn't really see too much of an increase in snap. Um, You saw Malcolm get beat once or twice as well. So those are probably going to be the guys, but if Jack Campbell can develop as you know more of that coverage type linebacker, I think that that's his path to seeing the field more.
3: Our linebackers were targeted twelve times. They gave up twelve receptions, hundred and forty yards. That's not going to cut it, and that's John's point. That's that's too many targets with linebackers in coverage. There, um, I mean, that's that's just not going to work. And uh, we're going to start hearing rumblings if if Jack Campbell's only going to play 30% of the time and if Jameer Gibbs is only going to get seven carries. um, you know We didn't address the D-line, really, in in the draft. We did. We traded up for a guy. He's been a healthy scratch two games. I like Jack Campbell. I like Jameer Gibbs. But if if we're going to ease him in and lose games, uh, you're going to start hearing some serious criticism about this draft. I think in the long run they will be fine, but if Jack Campbell's only playing 31% of snaps, first-round pick, supposed to be ready this, you know, ready-now type player, we'll see if they up that this week, and I I do have a feeling they will, especially with a run-heavy team coming in.
2: It's week two. You can't be expecting everybody to play 100%. There's way too many snaps. They're easing them into action like the rest of the league is doing with almost all of their rookies. I saw a lot of Devin
3: Witherspoon. I did too.
2: Well, he was
0: out all last week. Good so.
3: point. Yeah, so this is his first game, and he played, I don't know how much, He was out there a lot making plays.
0: Well, they're usually not subbing out outside corners. Like, with linebackers, it's situational. But honestly, I don't think it's really a knock on Jack Campbell. I think it's more of a testament to Derek Barnes, what he was able to do in training sure. camp preseason. That's a, a fair won.
3: way to look at it.
0: How are you going to take Derek Barnes out when he is flying all over the field making plays like that? And Anzalone...
3: He had his best game as a Lion, certainly.
0: Yeah, and Alex Anzalone, I mean, I said that it was up and down. He did have some good plays, too. You know, and the other thing is, I mean, he's just kind of the veteran leader out there. He's the green dot guy right now, so you can't really take him out either. It's really, you know, I don't think Campbell's going to get significant playing time unless Derek Barnes regresses. And so far, he's not given the coaches any excuse to take him out.
3: That's fair. I mean, if we're going to talk about him as a whole, though, no one got home to the quarterback and nobody deflected a pass every single time they were targeted. They gave up a reception. So, I mean, that's a C plus at best, even with Derek Barnes looking good.
0: I'm with you. Obviously, it's got to be better. But I think maybe the uh, I mean, it's close with the defensive line and the defensive backs, but the defensive backs might have been the worst group on our defense this week it was absolutely terrible and I just don't know how we regressed this far after having a very solid week against Patrick Mahomes week one I mean I get it he didn't have the weapons and the receivers had a lot of drops but I just feel like we couldn't play defense at all and I don't know if it was just kind of the game plan but we weren't able to stay you know Close with their receivers. They are very, very talented. I get that. But at the same time, it's Geno Smith, man. And I just feel like they were open every single play. He had no problem getting a completion when he needed to. I mean, you have Kirby who dropped a pick on the goal line. You know, I mean, it still went down as a pass breakup. That's nice. Brian Branch, he gave up the game winning touchdown to Tyler Lockett and OT. Just kind of like a step behind, you know, and Tyler Lockett's a great receiver. So I don't know if you can really put that on his shoulders like it was a blown coverage. And then DK was just torching Jerry Jacobs all game. Like you would see DK come down with, you know, a 15, 20 yard gain. Who's in coverage? Jerry. So I think that was one of Jerry Jacobs' worst games. I mean, just take a look at Geno's stat line. He completed 32 of 41 passes. That's 78% completion percentage. Only nine incompletions all game, 328 yards, enough said.
3: In your own house, first home game, crowd going nuts, it's inexcusable. Um, I mean, the secondary, they need help starting with the defensive line. The D-line couldn't get home. I mean, Tyler Lockett, JSN, DK Metcalf, you can't expect to just contain those guys out there on an island. Um, Geno needed to be hurried and rushed and uh, flushed from the pocket. It just didn't happen, so... You know, you can't get home to the quarterback. That's rule number one, and those guys were put in a terrible spot. I thought Cam Sutton looked good. Um, Jerry Jacobs, though, I mean, possibly he's more of a depth piece than a cornerback, too.
0: And, you know, Jerry has been good historically, you know. Like, you don't really have a whole lot of games that you can point to be like, oh, Jerry just got beat that game, and this is one that stands out. It it really does, you know, and – He is very physical. He's good against the run. He is normally a sound tackler, even though I did see him miss one or two here in this game. But, I mean, coverage is number one when it comes to a defensive back. And, yeah, he got beat. It was a good crowd he was going against in that with Seattle's receivers. But can't have it, man. They were definitely starting to pick on him a little bit in that game. Absolutely.
1: And The only sack you get all day is uh, on a 13-second play. I mean, you're not getting a whole lot of help with pressure up front, going to be tough on that cover on those uh, defensive backs.
0: Uh, let's talk about our coaches here because, you know, as much as our defense was bad, it comes down to Dan Campbell and Aaron Glenn here. But we'll talk Campbell first. And one of the bigger criticism that Dan Campbell has received from this game is his aggression. And you know, you might be the fan that says, "I hate when we go for it on fourth down. I hate these trick plays." I'm not that guy. I love that Dan Campbell is aggressive. I love that he goes for it on fourth down. I really don't trust our kicking situation either. And I'm all about putting points on on the scoreboard. So, I mean, you live with it, you die with it. I can live with it, absolutely. I'm not one of those guys that's knocking them for that. I don't have any issue with going for it on fourth down. But that last drive in the fourth quarter, I even said it in the moment, like, what the hell are we doing? And here's a quote from Dan Campbell about that fourth quarter drive. Here's what I knew. They had two timeouts, and I did not want to give that ball back. That was number one. Do not give this ball back. So I get that, but this isn't Patrick Mahomes we're going against. We have one minute left, and we are just running the clock down with three timeouts in our pockets. I mean, Geno Smith is not built to just put together a a 75-yard drive in 30 seconds it's not Patrick Mahomes. It's not Josh Allen all game long. All he's doing is the short stuff. And if we went up, you know, if we put seven points on the board, it would have been 35 to 31. They need to get a touchdown to win it. So take some shots and go for the touchdown before you settle for the field goal. Like I get it. Like at some point, you just got to take the field goal and you know, send it to overtime. But there was a point where it went from one minute to 30 seconds And we just call a timeout. Finally, then like that's 30 valuable seconds that we could have used to take a couple more shots and try and get a first down and just kind of kick the can down the road. So, you know, why are we going for it on fourth down in our own territory, you know, in the second and third quarter, but then we play conservatively when the game is on the line, when we have a chance to put together a game winning drive and actually win the game.
1: It makes no sense at all to me that he says I didn't want to give them the ball back because you go into overtime, and instead of giving them the ball back with like a minute or under, you give them a 50-50 shot of getting the ball back with as much time as they want. It makes no sense. I got nothing. Instead of taking the lead and putting pressure on them, you are like, all right, let's give them a shot to just work their offense with 10 minutes.
3: Why not go into the hurry-up a little bit rather than let that play clock get down sub-10 seconds and then finally get down there and call and call a snap? It just doesn't make sense. You've got Gibbs, Laporta, Amon Ross, St. Brown, an electric top-five offense, and you're just playing like you got all day. And, and you didn't even take a shot to Josh Reynolds, who they couldn't stop in the end zone once. So I just I, I have absolutely no idea. I'd rather Dan Campbell have a growing experience at this point in the season than week 17. Um, I, I can't even, I cannot rationalize it.
0: Yeah, and but you touched on something there too. Like, why do we just let the clock run down? And I went back after that uh, pick six, and it was the second to last drive in regulation. We had the ball with eight minutes left in the game. We put together a 10-play, five-minute drive, and we scored with three minutes and eight seconds left. Then we had the Seahawks possession where Alex Anzalone had the sack and they punted to us, giving us the ball with you know maybe like I think a minute 57 left, something along those lines. So we had the ball at our 50-yard line with just about two minutes left, a little less than that. And we move the ball what 30 yards and it took two minutes to do that. And not to mention the 10 play, five minute drive. Like, why are we letting the clock the play clock go all the way down? Why don't we, like you said, Eric, just get a little bit of a, you know, a hurry up offense and keep things going? Like our
3: offense was killing it. We they couldn't stop us.
0: We could put together a four minute drive if we have to and run it out. I know we don't have David Montgomery, but we have players who can keep moving the ball and keep the clock running. Like just kind of let it get out of our control you know and we were satisfied to go to overtime and sometimes it's just decided by a coin flip and that's what got us in the end
3: I'll summarize it by he went for the win by going forward on fourth down multiple times when he could have kicked the field goal and when it was time to go for the win he decided to play for the field goal at the very end so whatever the mentality is and the the perspective he's trying to instill, it just didn't make sense. It wasn't coherent. It doesn't add up. And I got nothing.
0: Dan Campbell has had some questions about, you know, his aggression. Like I said, don't have a problem about with that, but when it comes to clock management, I mean, dude, come on, like go for their throat. You have a chance. Like he's the guy to do that. And so it was just very uncharacteristic of him and, you know, it ended up costing us hindsight's 2020, but at the same time, I think everybody in the building, was a little pissed off when they saw us kind of draining that clock down and settling for OT. So uh, we'll move on to coordinators here. Ben Johnson, I don't really have any critiques from him. I, I like that he was getting a little bit more creative in the past game, like with the flea flicker. He got Jameer Gibbs a little bit more involved. Not quite as efficient in the run game. Um... And then, you know, offensively, like turnovers were the one thing that killed us. We had the David Montgomery fumble and the interception. But, you know, that doesn't really have anything to do with his scheme. So Aaron Glenn, on the other hand, I've got a lot that I could say. I mean, you allowed 393 yards of total offense and 37 points in your home opener, you know, and 30 of those points came in the second half in an overtime against Geno Smith, It's not a good look, man. It's just not a good look. We couldn't rush the passer against backup offensive linemen. Now, okay, you could say that they were doing the quick short throws, but like, why aren't we just playing press man then? If they're doing those short throws and we're not going to be able to get to the passer, we've got to jam those receivers at the line of scrimmage. You know, we're giving those wide receivers way too much space if that's the offense that they want to run. They were just consistently wide open. Second quarter, there was a first down. We had the James Houston coverage, Noah Fant, like you already said, Eric, when we've got guys like Anzalone, Jack Campbell, C.J. Gardner-Johnson in the box. Fourth quarter, when John and I were there, there was, I think it was a third down on the Lions goal line, and we were taking Aiden Hutchinson off the field, and he's even putting his arms up like, what are you doing? Thankfully, Seattle took a timeout, and we were able to correct it. We took Charles Harris out, but we were about to – have a critical third down with Charles Harris and Romeo Aquera on the field. Why are we doing that? I mean, the secondary is back to being a liability again. And this off- that offense did have a ton of weapons, but again, it's Geno fucking Smith. And we just let him cook us two years in a row. People are saying that Aaron Glenn is on the hot seat after this one. I'm not quite there yet because he did have a great game against the Chiefs and we were all praising him. I think he was somebody's uh, game ball. And now we're ready to crucify him again. That's just how the NFL goes. I get it. But at the same time, he's got to take a look in the mirror and just say, like, this can't happen again. Defense is the one thing that's holding us back at this point.
3: I'm pretty much down to just crush up the piece of paper and throw it in the trash bin. Um, I mean, with Aaron Glenn in Seattle, it's just it's not a match made in heaven. That's for sure. Um, he's done great things. I think the team respects him and uh, <clears throat> he deserves a bit more of a leash. But once again I'm just I'm gonna summarize it with it starts up front with pressure and if he's not gonna give these guys help who can't get home by themselves, then yeah, the seat's gonna get really hot
2: really fast. So figure it out. I mean, the up and down's ridiculous is if he throws up a good game against the Falcons, you guys are gonna be on the complete other side of the fence.
0: I tempered everybody's, you know, emotions a little on this one. I'm not there yet. I said it, but a lot of people, they flip from week to week and I get it. It was a frustrating game, a frustrating loss. So it's okay to be mad, but he's got to bounce back.
3: If we don't get any snacks, if we win next week in a close one without pressure and make Desmond Ritter look good and Hutch can't get home and nobody can get home, I will still be very concerned even if we win somebody's got to hit the quarterback we signed too many good players we drafted defense somebody's got to hit them and generate turnovers and if Aaron Glenn can't find a way to do it somebody else is going to come in and do that the time to say that is not yet but next week is a perfect opportunity at home with a second year quarterback who is definitely bottom 10 in the league who doesn't have a deep ball all you got to do is stop Bijan and make Desmond Ritter beat you if Aaron Glenn can't well, do that, do then we've got a freaking problem. And yes, stopping Bijan is not that easy. That's scary. It's very scary, but it's a perfect get right game. And we have the team to make that work.
0: Let's get to our game balls and burning bags of dog shit. Just real quick. Wanted to touch on the officiating. Cause last week we didn't talk about them because the NFL gave us a nice crew. They were not very flag happy. We got the exact opposite this week. I will admit didn't lose the game because of these calls well one you could say that but when it comes down to it seattle had more penalties than we did we just had very crucial ones or no calls like the pi on josh reynolds we ended up getting a touchdown on this drive but there was no pass interference on josh reynolds uh for a david montgomery screen that would have been for a touchdown that got called back there's no pi on fourth down when that defender tripped josh reynolds we turned it over in our own territory seattle went to go and score a touchdown uh, Kirby Joseph got uh, flagged for a pass interference, and the reason why it was pass interference because DK Metcalf pulled him down by his face mask into his legs. That's an offsetting penalty. What the fuck is that? And then everybody saw the final play of the game: the no-call holding on Aiden Hutchinson. Geno scrambles. Aiden Hutchinson would have gotten him. Tackle grabs him. Clear and obvious. Tyler Lockett catches the touchdown for the win. I'm blaming the crews, but I'm just saying like those were critical plays, definitely impacted the game, you know, call or no call. I mean, they missed some. So if you're going to be throwing flags, you got to at least be consistent about it. And I don't, I don't feel like we got that consistency here. So I don't even want to put up to discussion. Just wanted to mention it and move on. We lost for a lot of reasons and, you know, officiating was definitely far from the biggest reason. So. Let's do our game balls and our burning bags of dog shit. First off, Belly, who's getting your game ball?
2: Well, my game ball is going to myself for uh, buying Red Zone and Sunday tickets so now I can watch all the games and provide you with so much more in-depth analysis that
0: Corbin obviously missed. Yeah, you did a great job providing analysis on that That's last game. So, John, <laughs> moving on to you. Who's getting your game ball? <laughs>
1: uh, all right, that was just funny. Uh, my game ball is going just to the Lions fans for showing out so big yesterday. I, I've, and uh, I mean I, I try to go to at least like one game a year, and I have not seen the stadium at full or people that loud ever. Uh, like at kickoff or before kickoff, it was like to the rafters, and usually people are still filing in, so
3: that was cool to see.
0: It have something to do with me being right in your ear, but. Yeah, it was very loud. And then, Mart, who's getting your game ball?
3: <laughs> i got to give it to Jared Goff. For as good as Geno was, Goff actually finished with a higher passer rating. He took a a spear to the spine from a cheap shot hit with a 15-yard penalty, still finished the drive with a key touchdown to give us a chance. He's firing on all cylinders, and we're going to need him going forward.
0: I agree. That's a good one. Goff never gets a recognition, but he's just been consistent as can be on this team. For me, I'm giving my game ball to Derek Barnes. I already talked about him a lot, but the improvement from last year is so evident. He's looking really good against the run, making some hard tackles, making it tough for our uh, opponents running backs to really get much anything going. I think that he's a big reason why you've seen our defense against the run step up. So let's move on here to our burning bags of dog shit starting with the old belly who's getting your burning bag
2: my burning bag is going to no one else but you Corbin you've gone to two Seahawks games back to back years and they've lost both times you almost fought a child at some point I think it's all your that fault I happened
0: to John too what that was just uh, I
1: thought you were talking about I almost fought a won. kid I was like I didn't almost fight a kid
0: that was a that was a corbin how bad do you want it that was a hypothetical it didn't happen john has also been at the games two years in a row and we have lost both of those so
1: so me and you can never go to a game at the same time i guess
0: i guess so we got to coordinate it's still your fault and i'll accept it blame me i'll take it john what about you who's getting your burning bag
1: uh, we kind of touched on it earlier, but and Eric actually said the stat I was going to throw out there because my physical therapist told me the the twelve targets, twelve receptions, hundred forty yards against the linebackers while he was digging on my shoulder today. So yeah, just uh, poor performance from them defense overall, but uh, specifically a little bit of shit sprinkled.
3: Anzalone's blonde curls.
0: All right, Mark, who's getting your burning bag?
3: Aaron Glenn, for all reasons we've already discussed.
0: Fair enough. Yep, I'll give mine to uh, Jerry Jacobs. Uh, You really don't put him on this list too often because he usually is fairly consistent. You know, not a star by any means, but solid. And this was the worst game that I can remember him having. And I think that Jerry's the kind of guy who's going to take it personally and move forward with a chip on his shoulder and clean it up for next week. So... This is a game to do it coming up here against the Falcons. You know, not the most pass-heavy team in the league by any means. Um, but we got a chance to get right, correct the ship, and move on to 2-1. and one. So, without further ado, let's move on to next week's matchup against the Falcons. They're coming to Detroit. Game is Sunday, September 24th at 1 p.m. The Falcons out to an impressive start, 2-0 and to start the 2023 season. Lions open up as favorites. Uh, They have a four-point spread here. The over-under is set at 47. Uh, Last week, the Packers went to Atlanta and lost to the Falcons 25-24. I didn't get to watch this game. I really didn't get to watch a whole lot of NFL games just because we were driving back then. But from what I heard, the uh, Packers kind of blew it. I don't know. Maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. I did not see the game. So this is just saying what I've heard. But Last time we played the Falcons, it was in 2021. The Lions lost 20 to 16 in Atlanta as Dan Campbell's first year as a head coach. And we've come a long way since then. So let's take a look at the Falcons team and see what they've got. They've got the second year quarterback Desmond Ritter out of the University of Cincinnati. His first year as a starter. Um, I guess, you know, taking a look at what he's done so far, he's been serviceable. I guess that's kind of the best word that I can give him here. The nicest. He's definitely not the best passer. Um, and last week he did get the job done a bit with his legs against the Packers. Um, but he is honestly probably the worst quarterback that we will face this year. But then again, I thought the same thing about Geno last year. So we'll see. Um, But he's about as big of a threat as Justin Fields throwing the ball. And as we all know, he's been looking like trash this year. He hasn't been able to throw the ball at all. He's an even worse runner. So if we can stop Justin Fields, we should be able to stop Desmond Ritter here. I'm not too scared of him, but you know, you're an NFL quarterback. He's got some great weapons, so you got to respect it. But Uh, The thing is that this team is really going to want to run the ball. They've got a two-headed monster at running back. Obviously, you got Bijan Robinson, their first-round draft pick this year. Tyler Algier is the RB2. He had over 1,000 yards last year for the Falcons. So it's a tough duo to go up against. Bijan is as advertised so far through the first two games. Algier took the bulk of the carries week one but stepped back a little bit um this week 2 a matchup against the packers in terms of their receiving threats it's Drake London and Kyle Pitts their first round picks from 2021 and 2022 uh, last week Drake London had no catches and this week he had 6 for 67 and a touchdown so he bounced back a bit Kyle Pitts, on the other hand, hasn't really done much of note at all. Only four total catches in two games so far this season, but he is a great route runner, and he is a fantastic pass-catching tight end, so we cannot slouch when it comes to him. If our linebackers had a tough time covering Colby Parkinson and Will Disley, then wait until they go up against Kyle Pitts. I think we're going to have to come up with a different kind of game plan for a tight end like that.
1: Kyle Kyle Pitts is like on the verge of being one of the great mysteries – Of what the hell happened to him.
3: He went from dynasty tight end one by a mile to... Holy shit, is this guy terrible or what? (laughs) Yeah. Well, look at the quarterbacks throwing to him. Also, shouldn't we win next week? If we lose this game, dude, Aaron Glenn is going to get smoked.
0: That's true, but... I think that the strongest point on their offense, honestly, is their offensive line. It really is a top five unit, no question. You can make an argument that they are the best offensive line in the league, even better than ours. And the Falcons, they have that run first mentality. So for comparison, they had 45 carries against the Packers on only 32 pass attempts. Their head coach is Arthur Smith. He was the offensive coordinator for the Titans. That's how Derrick Henry really made his bread. So Arthur Smith has came in with the, I want to run the fucking ball down your throat mentality. You know, throwing the ball is just kind of like, you know, it's there, but running the ball is their bread and butter. And I think that our defense is kind of built to stop that. So it is encouraging. Um, But let's take a look at their defense here. Not really any stars of note, but they do have a bunch of solid, just savvy vets who have been in the league for a long time. Brady Jarrett, Calais Campbell, They're on the defensive line. They just brought in Jesse Bates from the Bengals. He's a former All-Pro. I think it was a second-team All-Pro. But he's a great safety. He's getting a little bit up there in age now at this point, Um, but still very, very solid guy. I think he had two interceptions in week one. And A.J. Terrell, he's just a consistent, solid uh, CB1. Uh, The one guy that we might see in a new uniform, Jeff Okuda, He's been out the past two weeks with a foot injury. Oh, big surprise, Jeff Okuda gets an injury. Who would have guessed? Uh, He's questionable coming into week three, so who knows if we'll even see him on the field. Let's hop into the Corbs keys to victory this week. I really believe we got to shoot for this over. The Falcons are going to want to control the game by running the ball. They want to have the lead. They don't want to be having to put Desmond Ritter in a situation where he has to, you know, Stage a, a game-winning comeback here. So we got to put points on the board early and really force Desmond Ritter to dig them out of any tr- like problems that they have. Uh, there's probably not going to be a David Montgomery. If that's the case, we really got to be creative with running the ball. Rick Reynolds is kind of the only guy that we have that can bang between the tackles. We mentioned a Knight too, but we have not seen him play in an actual game in a Lions uniform, so we don't really know what we're getting with him. And then I'd say that the Falcons' safeties and corners are probably their biggest strength, but their linebackers can be exploited. They got some big men on the offense or the defensive line rather, but this is a game where I think that we could still run the ball. We, you know, we can have some success passing the ball. We have the receivers to kind of do that. Um, But defensively, that's what it's really going to come down to because the Falcons are going to want to do nothing but run the ball just like Carolina did to us last year. So we've got to stop the run at all costs. Bijan and Algier are big threats. Desmond Ritter can do some things with his legs too. I'm not super worried about Desmond Ritter having a 300, 400 yard pass game passing the ball. But if we let them get you know 150, 200 yards rushing against us, we're toast. That's exactly what we want. We cannot play their game. Their offensive line's going to be moving some bodies on the defensive line. So our linebackers really need to step up and fill those holes when that does happen. You now I, I mentioned Pitts and Drake London earlier. As much as I'm not threatened by their passing game, you just can't let them, you know, fly under the radar and not account for them whatsoever because they are good weapons. Drake London's like 6'4", 6'5". I mean, he's going to be a red zone threat. Kyle Pitts is breaking ankles out there, even if he's not getting the ball. He's a huge threat in the passing game. So those are the two guys that we really got to key in on. Don't let Ritter get out of the pocket and make something happen. Make him be a uh, pocket passer and force him to throw the ball in order to beat us.
2: Yeah, it's definitely going to be an interesting game. I'm excited to see uh, how they react to Bijan. And, um, yeah, they're definitely going to pound the rock over and over again. So... Should be a good game.
0: All right, let's hop into some predictions here. Belly, how do you got this one going? Uh, I'm going to be
2: contrarian. We're going Falcons 24, Lions 20.
0: Same. What about you, John?
1: I had uh, Lions 24, Falcons 21, but just because I want to be opposite of Ben, Lions 24, Falcons 20. I
2: like it. I like Lack it. reasoning.
1: And because of uh, I, the Falcons have a good kicker. He's got a big leg, so... They're not afraid to
3: kick like we are.
1: I'll I'll coo.
0: Coo. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Mart? What's your score in this one?
3: I got 27-24 Lions on this one. Um, it's not going to be easy, um, but I think that we'll do just enough at home. I think Dan Campbell will have the boys ready. Uh, and I do expect us to be without Montgomery. <clears throat> Otherwise, that total might be a little higher, but I think we can still hang 27 on him at home.
0: I like it. I'm tailing John and Mart here. I got the Lions taking this one 27 to 20. Yes, it was a letdown game in Seattle. Home opener. Not go as planned. But we are going to bounce back. You now we might have just came off that Chiefs win feeling a little, you know, feeling ourselves a little bit. But I know that the boys are going to get right with this one, and it's a perfect chance to do it. Falcons are sneaky good this year, but I think we've got the uh, the defensive unit to stop them. If they can't throw the ball – they're just pounding, you know, pounding the rock. Our defensive line and linebackers have been able to to stop them as of late. So let's take a look here at the rest of the NFL games. We're gonna make some uh, wagers here with betting with the belly.
2: Yep, betting with the belly. Um, as you know, we switched it up this year. We're doing a punishment if you come in last with your overall record of picks. Um, going into last week real quick, Corbin went 1-3. The Lions really let him down. Uh, Colts covered for him. Patriots, Dolphins hit, Lions, Seahawks under did not hit. Uh, for myself, I went 2-1-1. One and one. I got a push on the Rams game. know a lot of betters had a lot of problems with that. Uh, the Titans covered in overtime. Bengals-Ravens went over 45.5, and, and the Falcons-Packers did not hit the under 41.5. Moving on to John. He went, okay, so he went one, two, question mark, because he violated Corbin's rule of Monday night games. I don't know Can't how that happened. You. I, I thought I was looking Can't out
1: for that. that. I think it's because there were two Monday night games, and I got – uh confused i saw the one i was like oh i'm not picking that one
2: i think it's fine we'll just tally it up the week after but anyway he had the chargers they lost uh the commanders plus three and a half they did not cover and the 49ers rams over 44 which hit um and our guest isaac just pitiful one and three had the giants minus four versus the cards they almost lost Uh, Raiders plus nine and a half versus the bills bills covered Colts Texans over 40. That was a hit. And then the commies versus the Broncos under 39. And that game went over moving on into this week. Corbin, why don't you hit us with your favorite to get us kicked off?
0: I might not have had a good week last week, but I'm still sitting at five and three on top of the leaderboard. And this week I've got a good favorite for us. It's the Patriots minus two going to MetLife to take on the New York jets now, the Jets the Jets battled against the Cowboys. They look pretty good, but the Patriots are 0-2, and they have had some battles as well. You know, They kind of brought it to that last drive against the Dolphins. They played the Eagles tough as well week one. So I don't think Bill Belichick's going to lose three games in a row. I think this is the first time the Patriots have started 0-2 uh, since 2001. So I'll give the Patriots their first win this week. <laughs>
3: Line <laughs> move doesn't count.
2: I'm, Although Corbin, Corbin always changed the lines to whatever. Be minus wants.
0: three, then I'll take it. I checked it in the morning, <laughs> dude. I checked in the morning. <laughs> um, not a
2: bad pick, Corbin.
1: I only knew that because I was considering picking them.
2: No, that's not the point. All the time we're doing this, and Corbin will just like change the lines to whatever he
0: sees. I that. literally have never done that. I checked oh, in the morning. I've, I've and I've seen I put your it in. cursor.
2: Hey, this is my segment. Calm down. Moving on to my favorite, I got the Cowboys minus 13 against the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, They threw up points quick against the Giants, but the Giants came back, and I think the Cowboys just have a much better defense, so I'm taking them to cover. John, who do you like for your favorite? I like the Dolphins given six and a half versus the Broncos.
1: I'm kind of in on the Dolphins this year. I really like them. Ride him until
2: Tua's brain turns to jelly. And, Mart, who do you like?
3: I got Ravens covering eight at home versus the Colts. Who knows if Anthony Richardson will be playing or not. I do like Gardner Minshew, but uh, Ravens just went into Cincinnati, won a good one. Whole team looks pretty solid. I got them covering eight.
2: The return of Mustache Mania. I can't wait to see it. Uh, Moving on to the dog. Corbin, who's barking for you?
0: So I was talking to you about this earlier, belly, but I actually hate like all of the underdogs this week, except for the Rams plus two at Bengals. That's Monday night. So I can't break my rule. I'm taking the Vikings plus one going against the Chargers. Two, oh, and two teams who are both in the playoffs. This is kind of a, you know, a shitter get off the pot game for both of these teams both of them have kind of lost in heartbreaking fashion, but you saw the Vikings fight back against the Super Bowl runner-up Eagles last week, so being a dog at home, I'll take the Vikings, Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson are going to look to give Minnesota their first win of the season.
2: Yeah, I agree with you, Corbin. All the dogs this week kind of stink. Um, I kind of like the Bucks on Monday night getting points, but I'm just going to take the easy way out, and take the Titans plus 4.5 and, and see if they can cover again, again and they're at Cleveland Tell us your Doberman there, John.
1: I really am not confident in this one at all, uh, but I took the Giants plus 10.5 at the 49ers. No sake. really Mark. hate it. Yeah, I know. I I I thought about that, and that makes me hate it a
2: lot more. You got to watch out for old primetime dimes. You know, he ended that game strong. And he did it last week. We'll see. Mart, tell me what I just can't wait to hear.
3: <laughs> Titans plus four and a half in Cleveland. Derek Henry's going to eat. I had that one already before you put your pick in. You must have liked what I typed. I agree, yeah.
2: <laughs> no, man, I love, I always pick the Titans. They're always the dog. Um, moving on to Corbin. Tell me what's going over that limbo bar.
0: Well, the Dolphins have been putting up points nonstop, and they're playing the Broncos this week. The over is set at 46 and a half, and I am smashing it. John Payton has Russell Wilson looking, you know, somewhat respectable as of lately. They were able to put up some points this past week. They failed to convert on the two-point conversion and lost to the commanders, but Broncos have been putting up some points. Dolphins definitely have no problem scoring in 46 and a half seems really low when you got the Chargers Vikings set at 51. So give me the over in this one.
2: Yeah, last I checked on my app, Vikings Chargers was over fifty-three and a half. So I would love if you could change that down to fifty-one um but anyway both defenses stink so the chargers and vikings are going to eat on offense that game's going way over john
1: sorry you threw me off i actually went and looked at the line it's 54 now anyways (laughs) uh i got bill's commanders over 44 and a half seems like a low line and bills put up a lot of points and the commander's offense sneaky sometimes they'll put up some points
2: john is fully brought, bought into the brian robinson regime i love it <laughs> mart how about you buddy
3: uh i got Vikes chargers i had that line at 51 and a half this morning so if it moved three i was ahead of the curve i did not actually put money on it yet so now i'm just an idiot
2: yeah and mart it looks like we got a lot of the same picks but we'll get to that in a minute <laughs> corvin tell me about your under
0: I under this week is going to the Colts Ravens. I don't know if Anthony Richardson's going to be playing, but what I do know is that the Colts offense has been built around Anthony Richardson. He went down with a concussion. Gardner Minshew looks to fill in, and I do like me some Gardner Minshew mania. But at the same time, Ravens defense is looking good. I think that Lamar Jackson is, you know, going to do just enough to squeak out this win. I don't know if I'd be taking that Ravens uh, minus eight though. So I think it'll be a low scoring game, you know, like twenty seventeen, twenty fourteen, something like that. And the Ravens squeak one out.
2: Yeah. The Ravens could blow them out. That could squeak it out. We'll have to wait and see for myself. I got the saints and the Packers under 43. Um, to be honest with you, I don't really recall my rationale for it. um, but that's what we're going with, and we're riding at the end. <laughs> but that's what we're going with. Because <laughs> we got two average
3: quarterbacks and two decent defenses, and that's why I also had the under 43 Saints Packers. See, we're, And I it, had that before Ben did as well. See,
2: it's the fucking train. I've had this in here for hours, bud. I don't. I don't I've had it since 8 a.m. I don't brother. read anything in Guest Green. And to wrap up the unders, John, take us home
1: all right i got chiefs bears the line just moved so to be fair to you guys i'm gonna put it up to 48 from 47 so chiefs bears under 47 bears offense sucks chiefs they've been looking shaky at times so we'll see
2: and that's gonna wrap up betting with the belly we'll give you the results next week
0: all right good luck boys belly how about a survivor league update for us how's everyone doing
2: Moving on to the uh, Survivor League update, we had seven people get eliminated. Um, six people had the Lions, and one person had the Packers, which I thought the Packers was... Or I thought the Lions was a risky pick, but I thought the Packers was an insane pick. So, sorry to those souls. Seven more down. We got 23 down. Got about 50 and some change remaining. It's going to be uh, exciting next week. There's a lot of big favorites. Let's see if anybody gets upset. Moving on to this week, though, who do you got, Corbin?
0: Well, it was a little risky week one. In the show last week, I picked the 49ers, but I did switch that to the Bills last minute, even though both of them hit. And I'm feeling like I should go safe again, and that's why I'm taking the Chiefs at home versus the Bears. They're 12 and a half, actually, I think 13 and a half point favorites now since uh, lines move all the fucking time when I check it in the morning. But Travis Kelsey is back at full strength. Bears just can't do shit, man. They. A lot of people thought there was hope that they would have a little bit of a, a reclamation year, but it does not appear like that is the case. I do like the over in this game. But I also like Patrick Mahomes to squeak out a. Well, not even squeak out a win to to beat the hell out of the Bears. It means some points, and it means the Chiefs are going to win by a substantial margin.
2: Mark, do you have anything to add to that?
3: No, I agree with everything. That's my pick in my Survivor League as well. I think Chiefs home. Justin Fields, is he getting worse? It seems that way. It seems like he's getting worse. Now they don't even want the guy to run. That's the only thing he's good at. So, uh, yeah, Chiefs take that one.
2: I don't think he was ever that good. He was always a fluke. John?
3: I got Jaguars
1: at home versus Houston. Given eight and a half points.
2: It's a pretty big spread. I could see him covering it, though. Um, I went. I have two entries. Chiefs was my other one, so I agree with everything you boys are saying. And then my other one's the 49ers versus the Giants, minus 10.5. I don't think Danny Dimes has two of them in him, even though I do love you, Dimes. Sorry, bud.
0: Yep, that defense is too good. And, John, I do like your Jaguars pick. I almost picked them as well. But just that interdivision game, and the Jags didn't look too hot last week. It was against Kansas City, but it's too risky for me. I'm playing it safe.
1: I'm looking for a bounce back, and Houston, I think, is just kind of finding their way this year. Not expecting a lot of wins from them.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Well, that's going to do it for the Survivor update. We'll move on to some fantasy Survivor. John, what do you got for us?
1: All right, so last week, Corbin had Brock Purdy, Derrick Henry, DeAndre Hopkins, Darren Waller for a total of 53.84 points, putting him at... 116.06 116.06 on the year. That slots him <clears throat> at third place currently. Then I had Jalen Hurts, Christian McCaffrey, A.J. Brown, George Kittle. 60.62 points. A total of 132, putting him in first place. I had Trevor Lawrence, Bijan, Jamar Chase, and Darren Waller. Only put up 51 point one four points and uh, puts me in second at 118.96 just barely ahead of Corbin by a couple points so uh, Corbin this week looks like you're taking QB one
0: yeah I'm going big this week I'm sick of being in last and I kind of realized like if these people get hurt then I'm never going to be able to use them so may as well use them before you lose them for quarterback I'm starting Patrick Mahomes They're taking on the Chicago Bears. Talked about it earlier, but I like the over. I like a lot of points. Travis Kelsey is going to be back, and I think that he is going to have a hell of a game. Running back, I'm taking Christian McCaffrey. He's a ticking time bomb, if history can tell us anything. He's going against the Giants, and they have given up a lot of fantasy points to running back so far this year. So give me CMC there. Wide receiver, Justin Jefferson. I am really going big, picking all the top dogs. They're taking on the Chargers. I said that this was a good over game as well. I like Kirk's connection with him. I mean, he's gone like 10 catches every single game so far. You can't really pick a bad week for Justin Jefferson. If he has a bad one, it's a fluke. And my tight end, Travis Kelsey didn't have the best game, but he's going to have another week to recover here. And he's taken on the bears. They've been pitiful. So I'm hoping for a two touchdown, 10 catch, a hundred yard kind of game from Travis Kelsey.
1: You and me both, you and me both, Ben, how about you for this week?
2: Uh, to get through it real quick Deshaun Watson versus the Titans the Titans got two cornerbacks down uh, the Chargers kind of ate Keenan Allen especially last week so I think it's going to continue to be moving through the air against the Titans uh, James Cook trying to ride the high of his very good game he had last week against the Raiders we'll see what he can do against the commies uh, Justin Jefferson um, same thing about the Chargers the Chargers defense is just putrid. So I think Justin Jefferson, Jordan Addison, Hawk, they're all going to eat. And then uh, just riding Sam Laporta's big game or his record or whatever we're calling it. Uh, I'm going to take him in week three against the Falcons.
1: I like your Sam Laporta pick. I'm going to follow suit, but I'm also going with uh, Dak at quarterback versus Cardinals. It's uh, just a good matchup. Uh, running back, I got Etienne versus Houston, another good matchup. And I'm just expecting him to get a lot of touches. Diggs versus Washington at wide receiver. Expecting Stefan to get a TD next week, because he let me down this week on the anytime touchdown prop. And then I got Laporta versus Atlanta for tight end. thinking maybe he gets his first buddy.
0: All right, nice, boys. Well, good luck to you this week. We'll see how it pans out for us, but... Let's get down into those guts because I hear we got a good balls of the belly this week.
2: Uh eh, not too much happened this week. Uh, a lot of traveling lately, so I took it easy. Um, I actually uh, did start Uber driving just for one day for like four hours. Um, I was bored in the morning, and I had already signed up, so I thought I'd give it a shot. And uh, everything was pretty routine. Everybody was really nice, but there was just one thing that was just I couldn't handle it. So um, I go to pick up this girl outside of a bagel shop, and she walks out with, like, a rose in her hand. And I'm like, okay, well, what the fuck? I don't don't know what I'm going to do with this. She's like, hey, I don't need a ride, but I was wondering if you could take this rose to this business and give it to a guy named Bob. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And so I wasn't paying attention clearly enough, and I could not remember what business said. And I don't know if I can't figure out the app or not, but it doesn't tell you, like, where they're going. It just says, like, drop them off here. So, I get to it, and it's a mall. So, this lady wanted me to, like, get out of my Uber, go through the mall, go to this guy, and then give him a rose. Very creepily, I'm an Uber driver delivering a rose. I said, hell no. Took the rose, chucked it out the window, went on my next ride. (laughs) Really?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Why didn't you just, like, do the fare and then just chuck it out?
2: No, no, no. I drove to the place, said ride complete, and then I chucked the rose. (laughs) poor fucking bob <laughs> i didn't i didn't i i mean honestly like i felt bad but at the same time like I, 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 you've never been a driver of an uber this is like i drove like 20 minutes to get like <laughs> six four drives in your life
1: <laughs> you've never been uber man I'm just, know I'm like. no,
2: i i meant i meant in terms of like what the app is it's like you get a ride then it's like oh do you want to drive 18 miles and get six bucks so i'm hand delivering this rose in an uber to get out of my car to go through a mall find this guy bob and deliver a rose for six dollars i'm whoring myself out
1: It's not in the uber job description
2: no and that's why i don't feel that bad but i also probably there might be a way to refund her i'm not gonna do it
1: i don't think no. you should i think she did a really unreasonable request
2: yeah i tried i gave it a good old college try
0: if it was like a house i would understand but if you're going oh yeah home, i would
2: a mall literally i drove around the building twice i did not i can't remember what she said i thought she said like a plumbing store which really sounds just absurd at this point um (laughs) i could not remember so i just chucked the rose and i drove off
0: the old mall plumbing store how could you not find that
2: i don't think it was a plumbing store but that's definitely what i was looking for
0: (laughs) all right belly let's get into it our final segment hit me
2: all right Corbin it's everybody's least favorite segment but i gotta ask how bad do you want it this one's this one's just silly this one's just silly and i don't even know how i came up with it these are getting harder and harder to come up with so i just like for you to picture a life with 10 children and i have a description of all 10 of your children okay (laughs) okay So, child number one. He's a, he's a very tough, strong child who's stronger than you, and he hates you so much that he kicks <laughs> your ass every year on his birthday from years 15 to 18. Kid number two. He's a nerd kid who just lives in the past, and all he does all day is play Sega Dreamcast. Just the worst console, the worst system, and this kid's just pumping it every day. Three and four are twins that invent their own language, and you can literally just never understand them. Um, <laughs> number five. Number five. So he was a youth stud athlete, but then he tears his ACL in Pee Wee Championship, and his career is never the same again. He takes his talents to the chessboard and becomes halfway decent, but then gets a four move checkmated in the first round, and his life spirals into a world of depression. Next one a daughter who is a complete whore who you lost naming rights to in a Lions bet gone rogue, and her name is Chastity. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> that sucks. Uh, <laughs>
2: Next one is a kid who smells like that water at the bottom of a bag of garbage, and showering only makes it worse.
0: How does it make it worse? He's it's got his natural musk.
2: Know. Yeah, he's got natural garbage musk. All right, and then you have one kid who's your youngest, but you have him when your uh, second youngest turns eighteen, so you have an additional eighteen years of fatherhood. Um, so you're looking at like 36. like thirty four years of <laughs> with overlap. Um and then there's one kid who pees himself like all the time at the worst moments like wedding ceremonies every time you're getting busy with your wife and 30 seconds to go in the Lions game when they're on the 5-yard line down 3 points.
0: <laughs> okay. So I can't just be a deadbeat dad and leave them.
2: No, 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 no. These kids are living in your house.
0: So I couldn't just leave, You can't you can't start
2: just
1: leave No. But can't I just leave.
0: No, this, this is your life.
1: They'll find you wherever you go.
0: So I'm basically Nick Cannon, but everybody. <laughs> well, you got, got one named Chastity. You can get creative with the other
2: nine. Well, no, Chastity and Maggie.
0: <laughs> okay, so first kid, strong as hell, right? Beats my ass every single year. Uh, only from years 15
2: to 18, so 15, 16, 17. That's four ass beatings. Okay,
0: four ass beatings. That I can live with. There's no way to just like. No, dude, he's
2: just stronger than you.
0: I couldn't like give him like supplements of estrogen to bring down his tea a little.
2: Uh, Regardless, you're getting your ass kicked for four straight years.
0: That's fine. I can do that. Like, am I in the hospital? Yeah. Jesus, man. Okay. But it's a quick recovery. You're only in it for like 24 hours. I'm calling the police on him, sending him juvie. Second one. He's going to break
2: out and beat your ass for the other three years. Okay. What's the second one? Uh, the kid with the Sega Dreamcast, but that's, like, all he does. Smash it. Third kid? Uh, nope. New one appears. Boom.
0: head over the lawnmower.
2: Boom. It's like a magic Dreamcast.
0: Going Amish, no electricity. Third kid? He'll create one. Third kid,
2: uh, the twins where they invent their own language and you can never understand them.
0: Ignore him. Fourth kid? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, the kid who becomes a youth stud athlete, but then tears his ACL in the PE championship and his career is never the same again. Yes, yeah. And then he becomes a chess player yeah, and then yeah, he's yeah, super yeah. depressed.
0: Yeah. I mean, that sucks, but I mean, that kid seems like the most reasonable so far. So I think we'd be home. <laughs> All right. Six kid. Uh, the hoe named chastity. Oh uh, man. Chemical cra- castration, I guess. <laughs> oh. Uh, garbage water kid, garbage water kid. God, man, alone, axe body spray. Make him live in a tub. <laughs> All right, seventh kid.
2: Uh, no, this is the eighth kid. Eighth kid.
0: Um, okay. So this one's more
2: of a time thing. There's nothing really wrong with this kid. He might be who you confide in, but uh, he's the one where when your oldest turns 18, he's born.
0: Okay. Nothing. So with this, this
2: no, th- this locks you into thirty six years of fatherhood.
0: Okay, that's fine. Then you
1: have two more after that, so it's even. Okay.
2: Longer. Well,
0: what about the ninth and tenth? Or the again? kid
2: who pees the kid who pees himself all that all the time,
0: diapers. Yeah, it would fucking suck, but there's ways around it. I mean, I think that there's a lot worse options. You
2: like- you have to you have to be a father to ten kids off the bat, ten normal kids. That still sounds this, just- this is horrible
1: going down is a lie just for the fact that, you, that you're gonna, gonna lie. you're gonna chemically castrate one of your kids uh,
0: uh, that was a joke i mean there's plenty of dads whose daughters are horse. like they live with it different. there's plenty of dads who have to go through with that that's just I mean, and, then, and then it's 20 that you're just gonna man. ignore forever
2: Nobody's Dad got virgins the, at all. Dad
0: of the year. Well, if they don't want to talk to me, they're talking in some made-up language, then yeah, if they won't teach me it, then fuck it. And if they do want to teach me it, then boom, I know a language that nobody else knows. So it's actually kind of a, something that'll bring us closer together as a family. You can never understand them. Then my star athlete kid, I'm just going to get him super yoked and he'll beat the hell out of the oldest who beats me up. Dude, the kid's got a, no ACL and he's a depressed chess player. I'll just teach them, like, I don't know, grappling. <laughs> I've seen, like, 120-pound guys take down, like, 200-pound boxers, no problem. Just got to get Often. really good at grappling. I saw a video once. <laughs> I talked about in, like, three seconds. This one is not oh, that bad. Man. Are you really giving me a lie for this? There's ways around every single one of these. Belly, I do want to compliment your ingenuity and your creativity thinking of these terrible children, but... At the same time, I just have to be a patient father and never yell or never get frustrated, never take like a, a trip to blow off some steam. No, it's not like I have to be there 365 days of the year. No, like you're gonna have you breaks. have to be a
2: father to ten children.
0: I understand. I'll have some help. I can get babysitters and stuff too. The tax breaks no are all break. these kids.
2: <laughs> tax breaks.
0: But I'll find a way. A lie a Super Bowl. Giving this a lie, seriously? I'm, dude. A Lion Super Bowl. Just having to deal with some shitty kids for eighteen years, and then once the eighteen years are done, then boom, I've got that cool ass kid who's going to be a homie for life. I should have made him worse, huh? Uh, <laughs> and my cripple kid. Oh Jesus! Uh, the chess player guy who blew out his ACL. I, we got an ableist mean- absentee dad. You got Booby Miles. <laughs> well. Are you giving me the winner? Are you doing a lie? Because that's bullshit. That's I actually would do it. Not
2: John decides.
0: I feel like either this week or last week. Fine, give me a fucking lie then. One and one and one. We're even across the board through three weeks. I definitely would do that. The kids, not that bad. I'm a. I'd be a great dad, honestly. And I feel like I could train them out of these behaviors. Oh, so it's more. <laughs> I'm more of a, a nurture versus nature kind of You can't even get your dog guy. to stop barking. Whatever. That's going to do it for this week, guys. Thanks again for listening. If you haven't already, follow, subscribe, like, and download on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other platform you listen to us on. Don't forget to leave us a review. Give us five stars. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at like LikeCorbyashi. We also have the Belly and the Fish Instagram and Twitter accounts going. Continue to give us some good ideas for the show, something you want to hear, DM us, text us, whatever you gotta to do to get a hold of us. Please continue to spread the good word. Tell your friends, family, coworkers, and anyone and everyone you can think of. We appreciate the love and support, guys. That said. <laughs>